You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Skates and Plates here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Verwicki, and I hope everybody out there had an awesome New Year's Eve. Hopefully 2021 got off to a better start for you guys than it did for me. I already feel like Ross Geller with the leather pants. My back gave out just two days in, so bit of a rough start, but all in all, still better than 2020. I cannot believe that training camp is here, and it's underway the season. We're under two weeks away from having legitimate regular season hockey in the NHL so I'm jacked up and just it, it kind of feels like we gotta pick up the pace here and, and get things going it's gonna be a busy couple of weeks and some awesome shows coming up for you guys so I'll just dive into what the plan is for the next couple of episodes and then after that we're pretty much breaking down games every single day uh, so today's show we're gonna get into the we're gonna continue the state of the franchise and these are going to be our off-ice rankings for the first time. So I'm sure nobody has strong opinions about the head coach and the GM, but that's what we're going to tackle today. I'm going to get some help from a couple of my buddies as well, my close friends. I'll introduce them a little bit later on in the show. But before all that, a bit of big news actually happened in Winnipeg since we last dropped an episode, and that was the Jack Roslevic trade demand. Jack wants out. Or at least his agent Claude Lemieux says that Jack wants out. He's a super talented young kid. I do wonder ultimately what his ceiling is, and I wonder if maybe Jack feels a little bit more highly of himself than what the numbers have have bared out so far. I think Jack Roslovic's a good third-line player and a guy that could maybe periodically fill into the top six if there's injury, but I don't think he's a a lock-it-down top six guy. I also don't think he's a center at the NHL level. I mean, he's going to believe that, and he's going to want a chance again to play down the middle, but I just don't see it. From what we've seen, albeit he was young at the time, but he just struggles in that role, and I I think his game's better suited to the wing anyways. So if Jack doesn't want to be here, then that's fine. (laughs) And, you know, to be honest, I... I think Kevin Chevaldeoff was was looking to move Jack Roslevic to begin with. So maybe this is just a ploy by the agent to try and speed things up before training camp. I do think we're going to get an answer on this pretty quickly here. One way or the other, no matter what you think of, of Roslevic and his trade demands and, and what you think of his potential, right now on the Winnipeg Jets, he's a big part of their third line. He's a big part of their forward core, and a bottom six that didn't score a whole lot last year. Him and Andrew Cobb were the two players that actually produce a lot of offense. They need either Jack Roslevic back, or they need to find out what they're getting back for Jack Roslevic. 
and try to make sure that piece is ready to go before the season. That's kind of basically it, right? Whether it's Jack or somebody coming in, they need to be here quarantined and then good to go before the season starts in less than two weeks. So I think we see a trade, and I ultimately do think this is where it ends up. I could be wrong. But I think we see a trade sometime this week, and then we'll get some closure on the Jack Roslovic situation. Now, I do want to take a look, and, and you guys can let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter, at Brandon underscore Rewiki. If the Jets do move Jack Roslovic, which I think is likely, what are they going to be able to get in return for him? Now, we all know the big issue on this team is is the defense and the blue line. But I feel like if they could have got a second-pairing defenseman for Jack Roslovic, that the move would have been made already. So I'm going under the assumption that that is no longer a possibility for the Winnipeg Jets. And I imagine that they're probably going to look at swapping Jack Roslovic out for another third-line-ish forward. But I just put together some trade options here for you guys. So you can let me know if I'm way off, if any of these guys maybe tickle your fancy a little bit, or if you think there's a different forward out there, or maybe a defenseman, or maybe you just want draft picks back. But here are some forward options that I pieced together that I think I think Kevin Chevalier is going to look at. And I put them into three categories as well. Too good to be true. Yeah, probably not enough. And then a couple realistic options, ones that I think may be a trade that could be a win-win for both sides. So we'll start with the, eh, let's go with the prob not enough. And these are just some some third liners across the NHL. I don't think they've been mentioned in any trade rumors, but I'm just going to throw them out there. A lot of the times we see first-round pick traded for first-round pick. Casey Middlestad in Buffalo is maybe a possibility, but he has had some, some rough goes of it at the NHL level. Younger than Jack for sure. It's been a bit of a tough start for him, and I guess the allure would be former top 10 pick. Maybe he could revitalize his career in Winnipeg, but I don't know if Jets fans would be overly happy with that. And the other two in the not enough category, Mark Jankowski, the center out in Pittsburgh now. He just signed there. Maybe not super likely that he gets moved. And then in San Jose, Ryan Donato, another guy that was recently acquired in a trade from Minnesota, now, the two good to be true, these are the ones that, hey, Jets fans would be jacked for, I believe at least. Sam Bennett out in Calgary would be a great fit here in Winnipeg, but I can't imagine Calgary moves on from him. Warren, don't call me super bad, Fogel out in Carolina, he's been kind of a surprisingly good performer for them, but again, cheaper. Owen Tippett out in Florida, their first-round pick. Chris Tierney in Ottawa is a possibility. He's performed pretty well for the Sens, though. Maybe that isn't a too-good-to-be-true one, but I don't know. I think the Sens might want a little more if they were going to move Tierney, but another option as well. Adam Gaudet in Vancouver, I don't see the Canucks moving him. The one guy out of these this group that intrigues me maybe the most is Jordan Greenway in Minnesota. And, hey, look, Jets fans know when the Wild come to town, Jordan Greenway's a big-ass dude. I think the Jets could use a little bit of that in their forward core, but I don't know if Minnesota would do that trade straight up although Roslovic would probably get the chance to play down the middle. Greenway is a winger for Minnesota. So that leaves us, I found three guys, three forwards up front that I think could realistically be trade targets for the Winnipeg Jets and maybe a move that makes both sides happy. Number one, out in New Jersey, Miles Wood. Miles Wood for Jack Roslovic. Jack would get a chance to play for sure, for sure, in the top six 
out in New Jersey on a rebuilding team. And the Jets get a guy in Miles Wood who's, I, I think, a year or two older than Jack. Skates like the absolute win. One of the best skaters in the NHL. If you've ever seen him play, he's just, it's gorgeous, his skating stride. A bit bigger as well. Two years ago, he was really solid when the Devils actually went to the playoffs. I think he had like 30 points, something like that. And he hasn't quite reached that level since then. So, you know, you're probably sacrificing a little bit of offense with Wood for Roslovic, but a guy that I think would fit well with this team in the third line. So that's that's one player that would be an interesting target for Chevy. I saw this name mentioned by a couple of people, and that's Lawson Krause out in Arizona. Now, a new regime there, so it's kind of tough to get a sense on on what the Coyotes might be thinking. I think they have Lawson Krause actually penciled in on their top line with Schmaltz and Keller right now. But that's a guy that was a pretty high draft pick, probably too high for what he did in, in juniors. Had a pretty decent season last year. And again, you're trading a bit of skill for some size. 6'4", 220. He's a gigantic kid. Uh, he had 25 points in 66 games last season. So a little bit less than what Jack did, but but not a ton either. And, and again, the Coyotes get maybe a bit more skill for a team that struggles to score. That might be a nice fit for both sides. Now, I think this is my favorite one. And when you talk a Jack Roslovic trade, you always have to bring up Columbus because the hometown boy needs to go back to Ohio. Uh, But I've liked this player for a couple of seasons now, and I think this might be a nice fit for both sides. Alex Texier. I don't know if a lot of people are super familiar with what Alex Texier has done in limited time in Columbus. A young player, he's only 21 years old, out of France. I don't know. He's kind of intriguing. And if you're going to do the whole Columbus marriage, I think this is a move that could fit well for both sides. Now, his production is pretty limited because he hasn't played a whole lot. 13 points in 36 games last season, which is a little bit below what Jack Roslevic gave the Winnipeg Jets, but not not all that much. Um, A little bit bigger as well. And I think he's a, a touch more grittier on top of it, but there's a ton of skill with Tessier. I just think Tessier for Roslevic is a nice fit for both sides. And I'm not going to be shocked if that comes to fruition here. So we'll find out in a couple days, I believe at least. I think this is going to get resolved pretty quickly here. But let me know what you think. Again, hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Wiki or at Skates Plates Pod. What do you think of those options? If the Jets move Jack Roslovic for another forward. Again, the realistic ones, in my opinion. Alex Tessier from Columbus. Lawson Krause out in Arizona. Or Miles Wood with the New Jersey Devils. We'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. But without further ado, we're going to get back into the state of the franchise right now. And what better way to do that than talking about the head coach himself, the bench boss, Paul Maurice. Maybe the biggest lightning rod in the city when it comes to the team. I, I would say either him or Patrick Laine. So what I want to do, and, and we can get into the rankings here in a little bit, but I want to just start off with this as a baseline, okay? What makes a good coach in the NHL or, or at any level in hockey? And I would say, in my opinion, the most simplistic way to determine what makes a good coach is can they extract the most out of their group of players? I think a good coach takes what he's given and he makes them better than the sum of their parts. And, and that's the most simple way I can kind of distill it down to. Now, how do you pull that off? There's a combination in there somewhere of, you know, the classic X's and O's, I guess the hockey knowledge, uh, motivation and communication is and especially communication now is maybe the most important thing that a coach can do because it's different dealing with younger players than it has been you know, 10, 20 years ago. 
And then a big thing, too, is the ability to adapt and think on the fly. And we see that a lot come playoff time where the really, really good coaches separate themselves from the pack when they have to make adjustments. Some do a really great job. A lot of coaches really struggle with that. So let's just take a look at where Paul Maurice ranks across the NHL because we did it with the forwards, the defense, the goalies. We should probably do it with the head coach here, the GM. That gets a little bit difficult, but we'll worry about that a little bit later on in the episode. To me, there's a small group of, I guess you could call them great coaches in the NHL. Guys that you put them on basically any roster outside of maybe the bottom three, four, five, and they'll probably find a way to get them into the playoffs. To me right now, Barry Trotz stands atop everybody else. What he's done with the Islanders is, is just remarkable. And maybe the greatest example of what I said earlier, how can you take what you're given and make them better than the sum of their parts? To me, that's the New York Islanders to a T. Barry Trotz, you know they're going to be well-organized and defensively responsible and just a pain in the ass to play against. The same applies to John Tortorella, who I have in the top five. Um, I have Elaine Vigneault in and around the top five. John Cooper in and around the top five. It's hard to ignore what has gone on in Boston and, and not have Bruce Cassidy either in the top five, top ten, something like that. I mean, he's just been tremendous. The Tippets, Mike Sullivan, Rod Brindamore, Craig Berube as well. And then you get into the, I guess, the 10 to 20 range. Yeah, I still don't know if I have Paul Maurice in there, to be honest, guys. I probably have Paul Maurice around 20 in the high teens, low 20s, as far as coaches go there's a number of guys, no doubt about it, that I would take Paul Maurice over. I know Blashill's team sucks in Detroit, but I would take Paul Maurice over Jeff Blashill. Um, Bob Bugner out in San Jose. Lindy Ruff going to New Jersey, which I still can't totally believe. John Hines in Nashville, that was a, a bit of a peculiar one for me. And then you have like a, a number of coaches that have just started, so it's tough to... It's tough to say whether you would take them over Paul Maurice because they haven't really, you know, spent a whole lot of time in the NHL. But I think somewhere around 20 is is a fair point to park Paul Maurice right now. And it's funny, too, because just like players have up and down seasons, you know, some guy might be a top 10 player one season. And then you see them fall way, way back the next year. And you're kind of not sure ultimately where they fit around the NHL. Coaches are like that a lot, too. And I'll go back to this team a few seasons ago. And sure, the talent was outstanding here in Winnipeg when they went to the Western Conference Finals. But Paul Maurice did a hell of a job coaching the team that year. He really did. And people will point to Stasny coming in and, oh, wow, that's why the team was so good. Stasny was here. The Jets were outstanding before Paul Stasny got here. But Paul Maurice took that team, and they were an absolute powerhouse, a juggernaut. And they were only a couple games away from the Stanley Cup final, and I think they would have given the Caps all they could handle. So, you know, just a few seasons ago, Paul Maurice took what he had here in Winnipeg, and he molded one of the three best teams, in my opinion, in the NHL, taking down the top-seeded Predators on road to that loss against Vegas. I, I think it's important to remember, too, that Paul Maurice at times has looked like a, a high-end coach in the NHL. The reason why I want to bring in some positivity here is because the last couple years have been pretty rough. And this is where it gets a little difficult because last year that blue line might have been the worst in the NHL. It was a for sure bottom five unit in the NHL, but it was it was rough, right? Like it just wasn't good enough to compete. So you're already way behind the eight ball as a head coach in that situation. So I don't want to totally blame Paul Maurice for 
for some of the issues that took place last season. But I will say this, that he made a bet to take away the aggression in the way this blue line played and to be a bit more passive inside their own zone, and, and I mean really all over the ice, that that was going to be the best bet for success. And it completely backfired. I can understand it in theory. It should have been rectified pretty early on that this just was not sustainable what they were doing. And if not for Connor Hellebuck, things could have gotten pretty bad last season. So let's look at the good and the bad with Paul Maurice. We know he's he's not going to be a top 10 coach in the NHL, but can he do enough and tinker with this team to maybe get into that 10-15 range? The good for the Jets is, under Paul Maurice's tenure across the NHL, they're 11th on the man advantage, 10th in regulation or overtime wins, 6th in goals four, and I guess this, <laughs> is it a negative, is it a positive? They're 16th in goals against. They've got a good power play, and I think he has done some good work with the power play. I know he's blessed with a lot of skill, a lot of skill. But still, we see a lot of teams, I mean, Chicago for years struggled on the power play, even with Kane, Taves, Hosa, all the big pieces they had out there. So I think there needs to be a bit of credit given to Paul Maurice for the power play. They've won a lot of games. That's tough. It's tough to do in the NHL. Paul Maurice has found a way to do that. Offensively, they've been great. I don't think there's a whole lot of complaining how the offense has been generated here. And and the Jets do a great job, and Paul Maurice has been a big figure in spearheading this in terms of moving that puck side to side in the offensive zone. They do a great job of getting the goalie moving, and they, they do that with some high-end finishers. So it, it's a combination. Yeah, there's a lot of talent here, but I think Paul Maurice has, has utilized that effectively when it comes to the offense. Now the bad. And to, to me, the biggest issue that Paul Maurice has is the penalty kill. The penalty kill, the penalty kill, the penalty kill. If the Jets had an average penalty kill throughout his tenure here, they probably win a couple more playoff series, to be honest. I mean, if you look at their penalty kill ranks since Paul Maurice took over full-time, 13th in his first full season with the team, then way down, 25-26, then back up when they went to the conference finals, 9th in the NHL, but then way back down 22 and 22 last year. So if the Jets just have an average PK, even this season specifically, they're going to make the playoffs. That's it. Like, they're going to make the playoffs. And they were ninth a couple of seasons ago. Um, but to me, their best penalty kill unit was actually back in 2014 when they finished 13th ultimately. But they scored a ton of shorthanded goals that year. And the best part, and what I would just love to see Paul Maurice get back to, please, 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 aggression on the penalty kill. That team was so damn aggressive on the PK, all over the ice, not just in the D zone, but they were forcing turnovers, forcing dump-ins, forcing regroups all over the ice, and it worked so well. And they have a lot of the same, at least when it comes to the forward core, a lot of the same personnel there, but for whatever reason, Paul Maurice just dialed it back way too far, like way too far. And they've been so passive over the past couple of seasons. And to me, a passive penalty kill is a dead one. You just don't have much of a chance. It's impossible to base your penalty kill on just simply trusting your goalie to make the saves. The other big part that Paul Maurice is going to have to figure out, and and to be fair, he has figured this out in years past, but last year was a tire fire when it came to this, was the defensive structure of this team. That's something I would love, love, love to see Paul Maurice find a way to get on track. It's just, I mean, right there is two... I don't want to say easy fixes, but two things that can't be accomplished, and this team probably makes the postseason. 
One last bugaboo that I do have with Paul Maurice before we get to maybe the overarching point of what's going to happen this season. Not a huge fan of, of how he divvies out his time on ice. And I think a big thing this season is we need to see that top line have their minutes dialed back a decent amount. I mean, Mark Scheifele just played too much last year. In my opinion, Kyle Connor played too much last year. If you look at some of the top teams in the NHL, I mean, even Nathan McKinnon. <coughs> if you look at Tampa Bay, for example, Nikita Kucherov didn't even play 19 minutes a night last season. Austin Matthews played under 21 minutes a night. Brad Marchand played under 20 minutes a night. David Pasternak played under 20 minutes a night. Now, the big thing that I think people here in Winnipeg have been asking us, you know, on the big show and have been wondering aloud for a, for a long time now is, you know, how long is Paul Maurice going to be the head coach of this team? It, it really is shocking to me. He's the second longest tenured coach in the NHL. John Cooper's the only one that's coached the same team longer than Paul Maurice right now. So how long is he going to last here in Winnipeg? I think what it comes down to for Paul Maurice this season is that if he doesn't make the playoffs, I think the Jets go a different way. Now, you can make the case that they might not have the best team or, or one of the best four teams in the North Division this season, but I think the patience and the waiting time is over here. You know, you look at Blake Wheeler, how many more years of high-level play does he have left? You only have a couple more seasons on Mark Scheifele's sweetheart deal and and Nick Ehlers' deal is starting to run out as well. Who knows what's going to happen with Liney and, and some of these other guys. I mean, Connor Hellebuck. I think there's a lot of urgency this season to see this team get back to the postseason. And if Paul Maurice can't get it done, don't be shocked if the Winnipeg Jets do move on from Paul Maurice. Does he need to win a series? I mean, that's a little bit tougher just because you need to know how that playoff series went too, right? Like they could dominate play and maybe get goalied or... Just don't get a, a bounce here or there. So I'm not going to go as far to say he needs to win a playoff round. At the very least, though, I do believe Paul Maurice needs to get this team back into the postseason, the legit postseason, to make sure that he's behind the bench next season. All right, so I felt like I needed a little bit of help to wrap up our rankings here, and I thought, what better way to do that than by asking the two smartest coworkers that I have, and then once Hustler and Rick Ralph declined, I went to plan B. <laughs> Then Remus and Ryan Brandt said no, so I, I just asked the guys beside me. Let's give a warm welcome to Jim Toth and Troy Westwood. I've never been higher than Plan H or I, so this is awesome. Plan C is an improvement. Yeah. Right on. Well, good to have you guys on here. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for Pleasure, man. Us. I don't get invited many places, so be, this is awesome. Got to be food involved, though, bruh. Well, we do talk a decent amount of food, so I, I thought I'd start us off with a bit of a foodie question, if you yes, guys don't please, mind. is the answer. Since it's the start of the new year, new body, new me, I'll start with you, Troy, because it's all about the health kick right now. What's your go-to healthy meal? Protein shakes and peanut butter sandwiches, man. You guys see me eat two PB uh, sandwiches a day, and I have three protein shakes a day. I wake up, protein shake, right after workout, protein shake, before I go to bed, protein shake. I see the peanut butter sandwiches, and I wonder if you're seven. But I get what you're doing with the protein. Yeah, it's, yeah Troy, if you, I guess people haven't seen, but Troy's a monster when it comes to the 
the menu in the morning here. Like yes. you're just and cranking out no sandwiches. No carbs past three. I don't need any carbs after about three p.m. Ooh, that goes against my religion and everything I believe in. <laughs> JT, your healthy go-to meal. Uh well, you know what? It's funny because good healthy meals, I'm a big fan of. So dieting or, or staying the course, other than like sweet sugars, ice cream, all that, I, I like all that stuff. But I'm good without. But honestly, I like a protein, a rice. And uh, a vegetable. That's one of my favorite meals. That's how I grew up in Alberta. So whether it's a T-bone steak or, you know, um, any other kind of meat, just some brown rice and a vegetable, I'm good with that. I like that. So now that the New Year's rolled around, I'll be doing more of that than I will order a pizza. Yeah, the pizza. I had my final pizza yesterday. It was it was a bit of a bittersweet moment. <laughs> so did I. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So our last episode of our state of the franchise rankings. Take a look at where the Jets set across the NHL in, in various categories. And we just finished the head coaches. Uh, I guess before the GM, I had Paul Maurice around nineteen, twenty, twenty-one in the NHL when it came to coaches. You guys agree with that? That sound fair? That's a tough one. We've talked about that before, and you and I agreed on that somewhere probably bottom third, right? Which yeah. is where around he's hovering, and I would I would tend to agree with that still. Uh yeah, look, I it depends when you're listing head coaches, to me, it really depends on where your franchise is at. I think there's some coaches that with a veteran group can get things done. Um, like a John Tortorella. I'm not a big fan of John Tortorella, but I think if he had an older group that is all in on winning and willing to do whatever it takes, he's fine. I think as you've seen with the Anthony Duclairs and most recently with the Pierre-Luc Dubois, if you have a young player coming in who wants to do certain other things, um, I think that's a detriment. So it's always about the situation. So I would have Maurice, I think, in the top 15. I think his players love him. I think he's a really good younger player coach, and I know a lot of people will say, well, he doesn't play younger players. Yes, he does. If you're good enough and you're ready... He plays good ones. He plays good young players. If you're not, he's not going to play you. So I would have him in the top 15, I guess, overall, but it really depends on the situation. For here in Winnipeg, I think it's a big year for head coach Paul Maurice. I think it really is. I think he's got that mix of veteran and youth, and it's really time that it has to start paying off for him. And it's at Jim Toth Sports, right? Yes. Okay, top 15 coach in the NHL. Hit him up. <laughs> have fun with that. Hey, it won't be anything <laughs> yeah, I haven't yeah, been called yeah. already. Or now, probably will now, be again. Now, what you said there, I, I think, applies really well to GMs, too, where it's hard to rank them because you come into an organization, maybe they're contending, maybe they're rebuilding. You're, you're tasked with different things. So I'm not going to necessarily rank Kevin Chevaldeoff across the NHL when it comes to GMs. But I think he's a damn good one. And I guess if you put a, a water gun to my head, I would probably maybe go as far to say he's a top 10 GM in the NHL. Do you guys agree with that? I think he's a top 10 GM. And I think it, if we're looking at not just drafting, but what the contracts you get signed, how you sort of, and I've said this before, I think he doesn't overpay, and I don't think he underpays. And that's the value of the contract dollar-wise and the length of it. I think that within a year of being too long or too short – He's pretty bang on that way, and I think money-wise, he's done a fabulous job as well as the drafting and everything else. He's not without his warts, um, but you put him again, I, I as the head coaches, you put a GM in a situation when you're in Winnipeg. I always say, if you're a GM in Winnipeg, pick up the phone and try to convince a free agent to come to the Jets, and that's not an easy sell, but overall, the job he's done both drafting keeping the players he has and getting the term and the money he has on the players they have kept, I think he's a top 10 GM. 
saying he doesn't underpay is a weird thing to me. Maybe ask Mark Scheifele and his agent if he underpays. I mean, you'd want your GM to underpay as often as possible. And the overpay, there's some discussions to be had there. There are some swings and misses. And possibly we're watching one unfold right now with Blake Wheeler as a 34-year-old with the years remaining. But by and large, I'm right there with you guys. The the drafting team he's put together is one of the very best. Uh, the decision-making and some of the flexibility in being able to deal with the bizarreness of last season with Dustin Bufflin dropping that nuclear bomb just before mm-hmm. camp like that and, and how quickly they were able to sort of fly and adjust, you know, grabbing DeMello, making some improvements on the fly like that. I, I'm... I'm right there with you that I'm both of you guys. I'm very impressed with what Kevin Shevel Dayoff has done and in no way whatsoever right now is a seat warm. And and to that point you mentioned there, JT, you brought this up a little while ago because the blue line is clearly the weakest spot on this team. But that wasn't the plan, the way this blue line works, right? And you mentioned they expected to have Dustin Bufflin last season and this season as well, right? And how different does this team look last year and this year if Big Buff is... I guess at some level to what he's been in the past. Well, and I will even go a step further that if you knew what Line A and Kyle Connor would get and agree to on July 1st, Ben Schrott might have still been here last year and maybe even for the next two years. So it's all about the situation. And you brought up even the Shifley deal, Troy. I always go back. You have to look at the time what was going on when deals are made and when they were signed. And $48 million and $6 million a year for Mark Shifley at that time was pretty good value to him. That's why he signed it. I agree that it's a massive underpay now, but uh, and that's the same with the Ben Sherrats of the world and Dustin Bufflin. But the, the thing about the Dustin Bufflin situation is no one ever saw this coming. It's not like free agency, I don't know if we can afford him. It's not like he's unhappy here and we have to trade him. It was a situation that out of the blue happened that when was the last time a day before training camp an NHL player or any player in any league has gone with two years and $14 million left, I'm not into this and I might not be going forward. And then the patience to sort of, as we heard in October, he's ready into thinking about making a comeback again and waiting even longer on that. So the situation always weighs into it overall, but yeah, I think that's a massive hole. Uh, and we, you know, we hear because we study it daily, say it, but when outsiders talk about the jets and last year, they go four of their top six D men left. Show me a team that could lose that and then still potentially make the playoffs in the playoffs. When the playoffs stopped part of the play in, I mean, take any team in the national hockey league and take four of their top six D men off their roster at the start of the season and tell me how they'll do. And I think the runs that they made with Jacob Truba, how that could have been possibly some people, if they want to criticize Chevy, saying that could have been handled differently. Those runs, there's value there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to fall on the side of saying that was worth it, specifically the one to the Western Conference Final. And and then you look at sort of on, like, how might Derek Forbert turn out with the scouting department and, and that sort of thing? It, what might he blossom into? You look at so what they got in the cupboards coming up with Hainola, and Sandberg specifically, um, I think, and, and Niku, if you're still of that mindset that he might be able to break in, you got to be, I think, excited with the young talent. The, the one knock, I would say, and it's been a problem for a while, that second-line center hasn't been, that riddle hasn't been solved, and I'm very, very questionable on that bottom six of the Winnipeg Jets, boys. The dedication to Adam Lowry as your third-line center, not not doing things to strengthen that part of the team from a production standpoint 
to propel yourself into a cup contender, I, I think there's criticism to be had there as well. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. But this kind of brings me to, to my next point, something we've talked about. And I'll, I'll start with you, Westy. You know, Corey Perry signs in Montreal, cheap deal. Michael Forleek signs in Montreal, cheap deal. A bunch of other vets go all over the place, cheap deal, cheap deal, cheap deal, cheap deal. Do people still not fully grasp how difficult, how behind the eight ball Kevin Sheveldayoff is when it comes to trying to convince literally anybody to play in Winnipeg? Absolutely. I believe that is true. And I, I don't even know that if we completely understand some of the barriers that are up for Kevin Sheveldayoff. And boy, wouldn't it be fantastic to have a, a conversation where he opened up just a little bit and actually answered questions <laughs> instead of dancing around them the way he typically does. But to, to, to get a 30 for 30 or a behind the scenes understanding of, of that level of difficulty when you are a team that is basically on everyone's except for maybe Paul Stastny's, right? If you're not sending me to these five teams and how often Winnipeg is included in that group, it's got to be a remarkable hurdle for him, and it's something I don't think that he gets enough credit for. We play this game all the time amongst ourselves, but if you're an electrician, a plumber, a lawyer, whatever you are, and somebody offers you the same amount of money, but let's say even 10% more, or maybe even 10% less, but you get to go live in a different city and pick your city, are you not going to try it? Are you not going? Then you add in the aspect of you're not from here. You have a significant other who has family and wants to do. There's a number of things. I, I'm still by that. I started this segment by that way. Pick up the phone and convince a free agent to come play for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, you want to come to Winnipeg or you want to sign in Vegas? And you know what? It's not it's even Vegas, guys. Well, like no, St. Louis, Louis yeah. uh, I mean, isn't thought about this way. But St. Louis is a major market as well. Just getting in and out. You And when people say that, well, you know, your significant other, you have a short career and all that. But if, if you're on the road and your significant other wants their family to come in, it's not an easy travel. It's just not. There's not a direct flight. So um, even Calgary, like Michael Froelich was a prime example that Michael Froelich, significant other, wanted to live in Calgary because of the Rocky Mountains, Banffs, everything skiing, everything like that. And that's just two provinces over. It's just not a destination that's an easy sell if you have options. Yeah. Unless you highly covet the Lockport Dam and the Forks. Exactly. The Springfield Hill. Matthew Perot got money here because he (laughs) saw opportunity and the money was there. I get that. But, I mean, those are few and far between that a player sees that. Yeah, and I think what Chevy's done a tremendous job at and what he's really forced into doing is that we see players that might not want to come here, but they come here and what do they do? They resign. They resign here. Like, and there's people that want out. That's always going to be an issue for Chevy, but that's a great a, credit to the organization and yeah, the culture. right? And 100% what, you know, ownership for sure is a big part in that, but Kevin shovel layoff, maybe that's the most credit that he deserves is that. And, and knowing that it's the only way the jets are going to survive in the NHL is we need to make sure that you come here you do not leave here for the just, most part. You just got to get them to come. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and that's been proven over and over again. And I, I think that's, you know, not an easy sell as well. And it comes into when, again, you're not overpaying by three or four million and you can't. Like the plan they had from the get-go, and I hear this a lot, they're going into their 10th season. They've gone that's out crazy. of the first round once. They've made the playoffs three times, I think. And I always sort of shake my head at that because I look at the situation and what they have. Now, if they stop, making the playoffs, that's a major issue. I think with this core they have and the lock, the contracts they've locked up, they need to make the playoffs year in, year out. That's a failure. But not going far in the playoffs, 
not accomplishing much. You have this this core here locked up. I think the next two to three years, you will be judged heavily on this. Judging them on the first three to four years, again, with everything we've talked about, location, salaries, everything else, and trying to get free agents, I don't know what you expect. I did not expect this team to compete for the playoffs in the first three to four years that came from Atlanta. And I tell you something, boys, when you look at the destination and how a lot of people snub their nose at Winnipeg, that's what puts so much emphasis on your draft team, right? Yes. And they've nailed it. Like but, they, They've nailed it. And that being said, though, guys, it is what it is. If you don't like it as Cheval Dayoff, that's why I think he doesn't address it, is don't take the job. It is what it is here in Winnipeg. But that being said, what I said about the first three to four or five years of this organization, now you've done this. You've accomplished a lot. That's why I have them in the top ten. But now it's go time. Like you've built this under the circumstances that behind the eight ball in some situations we've mentioned, but you've done it. You've gotten some success and built a really good team here. It is, this is how I will judge you now. Not on the first three to four years, but I will judge you heavily in the next two to three years on getting stuff done with some playoff success. So under that veil, let's say, for example, the Jets miss the playoffs this season and, and Paul Maurice's job security is definitely going to be up in the air. But how safe should Chevy's job be if, say, the Jets finish fifth or sixth in the division? They show some on-ice improvement from last year, but it's not good enough to finish in the top four. I think Chevy's safe. I think he's got another head coach hire. Claude Noel was not his pick, as I understand, right? That kind of came along with the Jets uh, 2.0 and landing here. I think he's got one more hire. I think he's got another hire as well. I think he's safe for the next two to three years. But if we go... A missed playoff, or if or if they go, sorry, if they go a missed playoff, or if they go first round exit for the next two to three years, I think that head coach Paul Maurice, and I think after this year he is on the hot seat if they don't get something done in the playoffs this year. I think Chevy has two to three years, and what happens after that two to three years is you just might it'd be it could be as simple as they've reloaded a bit, but it's not working to take that next step, and maybe somebody else can. All right, well, I know we got to head out of here really quick because we don't have a lot of time early this morning, but next week is going to be our big prediction show. Just quickly, do you guys have the Jets making the playoffs? I do. I have the Jets making the playoffs in the Canadian division. I don't. I don't think Connor Hellbuck's going to play at the level necessary again. I sure hope he does, but I just I think there's too many holes and question marks here for the Winnipeg Jets. And looking at it, I'll even say the reason I don't is I'm not high on Montreal anymore. Ooh. Having looked at it over the weekend, I think Montreal might be one of the teams on the outside looking in. All right. Well, we'll see how that all plays out. Thanks for joining me, boys. I appreciate it. It was a blast. Thanks Pleasure, for ha- Yeah, thanks for having us, and thanks for not feeding us. Some food next time, please. Yeah, that's not yeah. good. That's not in the budget. Any Sorry. gift card or anything would be welcome. <laughs> all right. Well, that does it here for another episode of Skates and Plates. We're back on Friday. We'll get you the latest from Jets training camp, and I'll also dive into your comments on Paul Maurice on Kevin Chevalier, how much faith you have in the duo, whether or not you want them to go, should they be higher ranked, should they be ranked lower. We'll get to all of your comments. We'll also see the latest on what happens with Jack Roslovic. And we've got another big food interview lined up as well since it is the new year. And maybe we'll look at some healthy options to uh, help kickstart you in the right direction if you want to go that route. And then next week, so this is going to be Tuesday the... 11th or the 12th, something like that, a few days before the start of the season. We'll have our prediction show extravaganza. We'll make all our final picks for the playoffs, Stanley Cup, the awards, where the Jets will finish, everything to get you ready for the season. 
I'm super jacked for that show. It's going to be a ton of fun. But that does it again for us here once again on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Thanks so much for listening to Skates and Plates again. Peace.